Joey Ito's Conversations. Today's conversation is with choreographer Carol Armitage. Um, so you, you, you joined as a director's fellow of the Media Lab. This for, summer. This summer. So July. Okay. Yes. And, uh, but first of all, we should introduce you. So <laughs> you are a choreographer. Um, Correct. And you're famous for many things. I, I, I'm the, I was sort of the most uh, knew you. Um, because of you did Vogue for Madonna. Oh, right. That's and that cool. actually dates people because there's a bunch of people sure. at the Media Lab who don't have <laughs> never seen it, you know, because I think it's Madonna was back then was sort of pre internet, right? Oh, yeah. Like pre YouTube. Oh, yeah, definitely. So it wasn't it was like. Pre, a, it was absolutely pre YouTube. So, way pre YouTube. So it wasn't really ever yeah. an internet meme. Yeah. But you, so you were the choreographer right. on, on Vogue. But what, what else? And, and then we did recently, I went and saw at the Boston Ballet that was um, Miles, Davis. Miles Davis, which yeah. was like. And that's not something, you always do something different and new each time almost, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I was trained as a ballet dancer and mm -hmm. then I danced with Balanchine, who's like the Shakespeare of dance, because he did comedies, tragedies, existential pieces, and kind of the culmination of 400 years of exploration of what dance could be. Then I felt like an imposter in a tutu and I quit and became a modern dancer and danced with Cunningham and Cage. So I, mm -hmm. you know, it was a new philosophy and then started my own dance company where I was known as the punk ballerina. Punk? What, the maybe, punk ballerina, because I combined punk and ballet and modern dance. It was like bringing the raw, rebellious energy, the uh -huh. delirious joy of destruction, you know, uh -huh. to the dance world and kind of taking it apart and reinventing it. And you know, I loved the Sex Pistols, and we had like the loudest guitars in the world, you know, in like trillion decibels. And wow. so um, that sort of catapulted me into performing around the world. And then I got lots of invitations, places like, you know, Paris Opera, I made many, many pieces. And that led to Madonna knowing about me. Which, and then I was, because I was, you know, kind of this cool New York icon of rebellious dance, <laughs> I was invited to be a judge for all the voguing balls because, in fact, voguing is a whole culture mm -hmm. that, you know, these extraordinarily talented, mainly gay, black, and Latino boys lived together in houses and invented this way of coming to terms psychologically with being out of step. Mm -hmm. socially and and you know economically so they couldn't really participate in consumer culture so they invented this dance like a a battle mm -hmm. of 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 glamour mm -hmm. and of you know and so you would go to the balls and they would say i works i works i works for 86 who can who can dance the you know mm -hmm. and they would often steal something if necessary mm -hmm. so that they could so, so you know, this vogue is before it. the this is before vogue okay. this is anyway i was known in the voguing world ah, and madonna okay. was you know she kind of wanted to be me in many ways she came to new york to be a dancer uh -huh. she wasn't quite good enough to really become the great dancer she aspired to and then she of course discovered this whole other universe of combining dance and music and and social commentary Anyway, so for years we were friends, and then finally voguing came up, and it just seemed like the right thing to do together. So mm -hmm. that's how I got into that. Oh, wow. So I've I've had a you know this kind of strange career of doing the most intellectual sort of research in what dance could be, mm -hmm. bringing in art and science, and then doing these rather commercial things like hair on Broadway and Cirque mm -hmm. du Soleil. Mm -hmm. So I mean, 
you know, I'm one of those people like you, I'm kind of interested in everything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so different moments I'm studying and get excited by different things. And, and then you were just up the street at Radcliffe studying so too, I was, right? Yeah, so at Radcliffe, that was really like a, a life not, you know, a path not taken that I got to take for a while. Mm -hmm. So I was studying Native American Plains culture, specifically the Kansas, Osage, and Pawnee. Mm -hmm. And this has been just an incredibly illuminating experience, learning about how creative energy comes to you through these kind of dream experiences where animals come out of river lodges and like a, a raccoon will come to you and teach you, you know, a kind of philosophical insight into medicine or whatever the subject may be. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it's just been glorious to learn about all of this. And there's this whole parallel universe going on in the U.S. Because mm -hmm. many of these traditions, which were so close to dying out with Manifest Destiny, we all know, mm -hmm. but they have managed to survive in unbelievable ways. And there are still four-day kind of dance ritual complexes going on in Oklahoma where mm -hmm. all of this stuff is still alive and well. It's, it's remarkable. Hmm. And, and did, did you turn any of these into into productions yet? I haven't, but you know, I've, I, I was simultaneously with being at Radcliffe, I had a fellowship at the University of Kansas, a Simons Fellowship, mm -hmm. where Haskell University of Indian Nations mm -hmm. is located. So I worked a lot with Native American dancer students, and we have all kinds of ideas mm. that we're percolating mm -hmm. to eventually mm -hmm. develop something together. I mean, I'm kind of like helping them, you know, realize their own mm -hmm. ideas. Well, which is which is cool, because I remember when we, you had all the director's fellows got together, everybody wanted to collaborate with you, and, 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 uh, and you've yeah. done two recently, I mean, it's right? unbelievable. I've been so lucky, and it could go on forever, because it's, I just love have to say, I feel, I'm one of those really alienated people. I mean, I really sort of feel at home anywhere and everywhere mm -hmm. or nowhere, mm -hmm. I mean, in equal measure. But the media lab, I have to say, like the students and the faculty, I feel so, such a common vibe of mm -hmm. shared, you know, shared desire, I guess. for. So I've done these two things, which are incredible. The first one was making a video because one of the fellow Media Lab Fellows, right. <laughs> Christine Sun Kim, who is a deaf sound artist, which of course is such a wonderful idea. I looked at her when we had this retreat and I just saw her movement as the most beautiful form of dance, a completely alternate way of thinking her, about her, it. Her sign, sign language, Her sign right? language, which, yeah. well, to me it's, yeah, I mean, it is dance. And so I just, and it's also her unbelievable she has an incredible, vibrant personality, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. and she's like a bee girl inside her. She's like, it reminds me of you, her energy, actually. Yeah, incredible yeah. intensity, I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah. And so I just instantly wanted to put her into a dance production. And of course, she had no idea what I was right. talking about, but she had always wanted to do a dance video. Uh -huh. So you had the great idea of let's bring you two together. And so we just finished shooting two videos, very different one from the uh -huh. other. So in the one that was sort of mine, mm -hmm. I wanted her to be a narrator. And, you know, a narrator through language that none of us hearing people could actually understand. So it kind of turned into an, a silent movie. Mm -hmm. And I wanted it to be sort of about how intense emotion transforms 
the body. So I was thinking about classical Japanese no theater, mm-hmm. sort of ghost where you're th- using memory to think back on meaningful time and love and loss in life. And then I was using Sappho's poetry, something really ancient and fragmented mm-hmm. as the vocabulary for Christine to sign. Mm-hmm. So it was very fragmentary and mm-hmm. sort of about ghosts and memory and reality, sort of illusion, all of these things. And it's silent, the whole thing. The inti- so that was a really radical decision. Yeah. That it has intertitles like a silent movie, and mm-hmm. the entire thing is absolute silence. Wow. And it's all like a hallucination. Yeah. It's all like a dream. So my dancer, who's Japanese, named Megumi, uh-huh. appeared completely nude with a very thin layer of white makeup. She wasn't the one that was in your Boston Ballet one. There was a Japanese. No. Okay. Different that's one. Different one. Okay. Yeah. And so this... So this, it's all, it's also in black and white, and it really is, there was an incredible creative energy and exploration of light and of movement with the camera. I mean, we had an extraordinary time. And so there were times when Christine was like her alter ego, the time like provoking her, mm-hmm. the time like the spirit provoking her, the times that um, she was her conscience. I mean, anyway, it's, it's, it's a pretty wild mental piece, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. And anyway, I can't wait to see it edited. Then Christine did a piece which was about American Sign Language verb tenses, which are quite different uh-huh. than English verb tenses, translated by dancers into sign language. We had to learn mm-hmm. this. Isn't it fun when she teaches you too? Because you realize that it's not like words, like text with you know, it, it, like the, it's it's about how big you you move. I mean, it, it's 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 such and a different way of expressing yourself, right? It's like it probably is more like dance. I think right? for us it was really natural, yeah, and, yeah. and the gestures are very logical. Uh-huh. You know, the past is in the past. I mean, it's like yeah. Italian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> although, although each country has different sign languages. There's this app, and like yeah. I think like goodbye in. Most languages is kind of like goodbye, but in Japanese, it's this very complicated oh. thing, which is also very funny because <laughs> it's, funny. it's, it's, yeah, like it, it yeah. And, interesting. Yeah. So, it, but the other thing that you do in American Sign Language is you use your face a lot mm-hmm. to convey mm-hmm. meaning. And as a dancer, you're taught almost not, not oh, to, right. because you want, you want your body language to really express the meaning. Mm-hmm. So the face is usually kind of like the African idea of cool, mm-hmm. like you're philosophically detached. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was sort of interesting to try to learn to have expression come into the mm-hmm. face as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. So then this was done very quickly. So I thought, okay, well, everything related to the past tense will do movement that moves away from, that moves mm-hmm. backwards. Mm-hmm. And everything mm-hmm. the present will do like on one spot mm-hmm. and more pedestrian and kind of mechanical. Mm-hmm. And everything that goes into the future moving forward and more ornate and sort of elaborate. So so each one of them either ended or began with the sign language that mm-hmm. meant something mm-hmm. specific and then was followed by a kind of dance gesture that carried it somewhere and, in time and that's and also silent as well? No, she's going to add music to okay. hers. Because she's a sound artist, I, right? Yeah, she's Which, a sound I, artist. But, but, but I remember we, I was on this first Skype where it was with uh, Jesse oh, yeah, Dillon. Right, right. And, and I remember Jesse asked the question, okay, well, so what's the music? Yeah, and and she right. goes, no, we don't decide the music first, we decide it yeah. last, which is kind of, you know. It was, well, it's it was, the contrary to commercial culture because you're usually using these kind of videos to sell the music or right. to add a layer of interest to the right, music. Right, right. So yeah, we definitely did backwards. In fact, in my case, really 
pure silence, which I was very nervous about. And Uh then I just took the time to sort of edit video from rehearsal and put in intertitles just to test it. And it seemed to just add and deepen the mystery. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it was great. That's very cool. (laughs) Yeah. Then the next project, should I go on yeah, with yeah, these? Like, I've yeah, yeah, just no, like, been doing all this update. stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so then the next thing that I just completed was a workshop at MIT with students during the outside of the normal semester. So those who wanted to sign up for a workshop that was mm-hmm. meant to be a learning to tell a story. Because everyone, for anything you do to get people to be to, to understand what you're doing, you're telling a story. Mm-hmm. So we got there and it was um, Madeline Sayet, who's a theater director, mm-hmm. and myself. And she had figured out this workshop. And I just kind of piggybacked as I thought, you know, MIT engineers, people thinking in science, I mean, they're not going to want to do movement and dance. Mm-hmm. Well, we got to that workshop and everyone wanted to do movement. <laughs> <laughs> it was like the most crazy thing. That, that's, that's great. It that's was great. absolutely incredible. So... The very first thing I did was I said to everyone, okay, I want you to write your name, you know, on the air with a body part. You choose Mm -hmm. the body Mm -hmm. part. And so people did this gorgeous writing. And one Chinese, well, Chinese-American dancer wrote her name in Chinese. I mean, she grew up in China until age eight. Yeah. And it just had a very interesting look to it. And so then... I've been thinking for quite a while that I'd like to do a kind of immersive dance production that is about consciousness. Mm -hmm. So, and what we do in dance is we're always diagramming geometries in our mind that are these kind of pathways that give shape to movement Mm -hmm. that turn it into not chaos, but actual design. Mm -hmm. So we explored a bunch of, of geometries, both Euclidean and fractal geometries. And then... I thought, okay, we're going to use all kinds of words that relate to consciousness, like neurons and, uh, anyway, like 12 words, and Mm -hmm. we're going to diagram them in Chinese in the calligraphy stroke order that you learn in Chinese. So we made up these series of movements based on this Chinese ideograms. And it was spectacular. And everyone moved so beautifully with so much rhythm and such just absolutely great looking, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. pure dance. And then what I was trying to explore was, well, can we, in the midst of that, start, you know, unselfconsciously saying what's going through our minds with stream of consciousness? We tried that a little bit. But we hadn't gotten to the point where we knew the movement well enough. We had to concentrate so much on remembering mm-hmm, the diagrams. Yeah, right, right. We could only people could only say simple things like scared or floor or hit or whatever mm-hmm, was going mm-hmm, on. Mm-hmm. And it also made me think, well, maybe the whole study of consciousness is like a paradox. If you actually try to to turn it into something rational, you you automatically lose the stream of consciousness, right. which is consciousness. But but but, but, I, but I think the thing about any of those practices though, and it's probably the same with dance, is that at the beginning it's conscious, but the reason you practice it is to make it subconscious exactly. so that you can transcend it. And that's the problem with hackathons is usually you're still doing it consciously that's by right. the time it's over, right? And, well, that's what, that's what happened in this case. I mean, we easily could get to that case. And the yeah. reason that I thought that 
Well, there's several things I thought that dance is such a good vehicle for exploring consciousness because, mm-hmm. well, really, you know, movement in a way is consciousness. It's, mm-hmm. it, you know, it literally is the streaming of things. And as a dancer, you are doing so many tasks at once because you are, you know how you're being looked at. So you're, mm-hmm. you know, you're outside. At the same time, you are analyzing your movements so that you don't fall. You're putting more energy mm-hmm. in this muscle. You're noticing everyone around you. You're diagramming geometries. You're trying to be poetic and expressive. Mm-hmm. So all these kind of, you know, subjective, objective, and sensory things are going on simultaneously. Mm-hmm. So I, I do think it's possible that we could get to that point mm-hmm. by enormous amount of repetition. But in three days, we didn't have time. Have you ever done Qigong? A little bit. Because because yeah. I, I, I love Qigong. And, yeah. and what... Qigong is interesting because the outcome is sometimes like dance, especially if you end oh, up in Tai Chi. But yeah. but what I love about Qigong is that the, the, like the point is not to get better. You sort of end up getting better, but like you start backwards, yes. which is really you just do it. And the first time you do it, you feel good. And it's mm. sort of like, and again, I think it depends on your teacher, but I, my teacher and the way that I've been taught is really that... Um, because you're not supposed to have a goal. You're not supposed to be trying to get a black belt in Qigong, right? right? right. Because that sort of goes against the whole point, which is right. that you just are. Right. And what's neat about it is that when you catch yourself trying to get better, you realize you're, you're going right. down the wrong path. Right. And what's also interesting about it is it's sort of opposite of Western dance in that you're really trying to celebrate. Like, you're not supposed to try to be symmetric. You're not really trying to be beautiful. Yeah. You're just trying to be kind of natural. But what I've noticed is that you start out that way and and then after you get better at it you'll catch yourself being beautiful but always by accident right and and what what i've noticed again this is just my personal opinion but it's like people who do tai chi often say you have to do it for 10 years Mm. before you can actually feel the flow and qigong i think is more like the warm-up exercise for tai chi Mm -hmm. but qigong i find that when people do it they've kind of get the energy from the beginning and then they get the movement later. So there's one where you start with the movement until it becomes subconscious. And then Qigong, you just like, part. My some of my favorites is just stand there in the same position for 30 minutes, right? And wow. and, and so then you get the energy first. Amazing. But I think I think it would be kind of interesting. Uh, you know what I should do? There, so that one of my um, favorite Qigong guys is a guy named Peter Wayne, and he's here in Boston. Oh. You should do a session with him because he he's, uh, he's just, he's very good at kind of, talking you into just clicking into that zone and that is and, and it's all about mindfulness mm-hmm. the, the, the only the only meta thing is that <laughs> i started so i've been doing qigong in the morning instead of my normal mm-hmm. exercise and i noticed that all of the qigong masters have pot bellies <laughs> so, so i don't think it's it's great for as a replacement for exercise compared to ballet but uh, but <laughs> well you know it's so interesting what you're saying because i would say that you know the really innovative side of contemporary dance even even ballet, even the most technical, artificial sort of use of the body is trying to get to that quality of looking that spontaneous and that unintentional Mm -hmm. so that you are being. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And part of what was amazing about the students Mm -hmm. at MIT, there was such incredible precision and yet so absolutely unartificial and 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 beautiful movement that was beautiful because it was not trying to be beautiful oh that's <laughs> interesting know? yeah 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 i mean yeah. All, 
And and I th- I think this sort of Asian influence of trying not to put maximum energy into mm-hmm, things, but mm-hmm. only the amount that is necessary. Again, these kind of philo- philosophical mm-hmm. ideas have really started infiltrating what I think is the you know the most interesting new right. dance. So so yeah. I'm going to now yeah. t- twist this into yeah. a, 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 a a weird question, which is mm. um, so I was just in Marrakesh like last year during the climate discussions. Oh, yeah. And we had this sort of side event, and I, I give a talk, and my whole point was sort of briefly is that instead of like trying to fiddle with the like the the incentives and the rules and negotiations, that those are fine. But what we really need is a culture change. We need people to feel disgusted when they're doing things that are you know, destructive. Absolutely. And then I, my point was, and actually I smashed a violin on stage because I was like <laughs> that was the old music, and I said we got to create a new music, and. I was thinking about, you know, when massive culture changes have happened, like with the punk rock movement or the Beatles or the hippies, it was it always has some uh, philosophy and music attached to it. Definitely. And, and as, as a child of the punk rock movement yeah. um, and sort of to the point you just made, which is I mean, because you're sort of talking about more than enough is too much. Right. The, sure. the, the, the sort of. That's right. and, and and there's a sensibility I think that we need because we, unless you change that, changing the rules doesn't really matter. Is sort That's of my so view. True. So 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 my question to you now, having worked with our students and sort of looking at culture today, where do you think? Do you think that's possible for uh, us? Like, and it's it's not because I don't because I don't want Donald Trump to be the, the punk rock, right? I want there there should be some some something has to happen. And do, do you have any idea of where it might come from and what it would look like? You know, I, I, well, I'll, I have something just flew into my mind. Okay. Clearly, what's really hard about it is that everything that's really an interesting movement is immediately co-opted to sell something. And mm-hmm. this is a huge problem. Right. And, and even it's happened the, over and over and over. So nothing can right. be counterculture and marginal. I mean, like, <laughs> like, the, like the anniversary of punk rock where they were yeah. selling all the paraphernalia. That was, it's, it's yeah. just all turned into that instantly. Yeah. And so my, the radical idea that went through my mind just then as you were talking about it was I was thinking it's getting the music of insects. Hmm. I mean, I this to me the sounds of cicadas mm-hmm. and katydids mm-hmm. and it's just it's so beautiful. I mean, maybe we need some some kind of music for this tr- true consciousness changing that is mm-hmm. necessary mm-hmm. to come somehow be integrated into the natural sounds. And we need to see ourselves as part of nature and not dominating, mm-hmm. obviously, and that mm-hmm. that is such a fundamental mm-hmm. change in culture mm-hmm. that needs to happen. So I don't know. That's so, that's what well, cursed me. <laughs> well, there's a there's a group coming. I don't know if you're still around later this week, but um, Conservation International, the team is coming to MIT, and one of the groups there is working on this. And this is the thing that was happening in Marrakesh, which is roughly twenty five percent of the Earth's uh, land is managed by indigenous people. Mm. And 80%, approximately 80% of the carbon sinks and 80% of the biodiversity is on that 25% of the land. And what's mm-hmm. interesting is that when you look at um, these indigenous people, uh, they have a sensibility about how to flourish within a system. And, and one of the stories, and I, I might get this wrong, but, but and we had a lot of these indigenous um, people, leaders in, at this place. And when somebody was talking about when the, when the Europeans landed in... Australia met the Aborigines because they believe in trying to keep everything the same and yeah. they don't try to accumulate or grow, exactly. right? They, that's why they decided they, were not, they weren't people because how could they be people if they were just trying to sustain themselves? Right. So 
that's what gave them permission to shoot them, right? Mm -hmm. And until like even as late as the 60s, apparently they were in textbooks as fauna, right? And and I think one of the things that's fascinating is to try to look at the cultures of indigenous people who have flourished in these mm -hmm. systems. And one of, and and just going to add one other thing, which you should see if we, I'll, I'll look see if we have a video of it. But one of our groups is working with um, Tidmarsh and one of our oh, yeah. retired faculty is sort of reverting a, 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 oh, a yeah. what is it, a cranberry bog oh, back I to nature. Yeah. So what they did was they put, they have microphones I all over. That. And what That's they, great. they did this weird thing at one of our, our events where they brought like mud and like the stuff <laughs> from Tidmarsh and then they streamed all of the music with multi-channel into the lab. So you could sit there and then you could hear and you were sort of, it was virtual, but the plants were sort of real, that's but you, right. it made you feel like you Experience. were in Tidmarsh. Yeah, that's, and, that's interesting. And, and so that was pretty interesting. And, yeah. and I think you know, the ambient music movement also had this weird thing where we were trying to put microphones into live places, sure. and then we would sort of mix them into spaces. Mm -hmm. But, um, but, but, but so, so I think there's something there. And I'm curious though, because punk rock though had this kind yeah. of punchy energy oh, yeah. that was, you know, exactly. right? And, but do you think, you, how do you get that from, insects or do you, do you is that not the, the the way you would do you know what i mean well it's a, it's a good question i mean the whole use of electricity in music is to me really interesting i mean i love all that trance music and mm -hmm. you know going into altered consciousness and all you know whatever the drug may be mm -hmm. I mean, it's all great stuff um so i'm really fond of that i think that i mean one of the things that's interesting about these insects is they can get incredibly loud, that's like true. rock music, that's you true. know? Yeah. And the other thing is, like the going back to the indigenous cultures, you know, the pygmy mm -hmm. have actually sing with the insects. And oh, really? they use them as an element of the orchestra. Oh, interesting. So I, I guess that was my idea. There's uh -huh. a way that, you know, even with electronic instruments that yep. we can join with. Yep. And it, yeah, that's yeah. true. And I guess like the didgeridoo sounds kind of insecty, right? It I does, mean, it, yeah, it, it, I mean that in that circular breathing, and yeah. it's like and trance and all that yeah. stuff. Yeah, know? yeah, I, and yeah. didgeridoo works really well with techno and trance. And yeah. and then and then I I guess I, and I was just remembering I was watching the the Beatles documentary recently, and and I think it was Ravi Shankar sort of enters a scene along the way, and the Beatles oh, yeah. music sort of twists into the Indian thing, right? And well, maybe the whole idea of, in some way, these, I mean, it's this idea of world music that, and the world is, includes the animals, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. as part of the soundscape. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's a very utopian yeah. idea, but I just, I don't know. It just affects me enormously to hear those sounds. Yeah. Okay. Well, that, that's, that's cool. Um, so I, I well, we, we can coordinate later, but it would be interesting to see if, because that's one of the things that I've been thinking about what the Media Lab's contribution to the conservation work that we're going to yeah. be doing with these indigenous people is how do you translate their sensibility to the world rather than just the data? Because if you just take the data and turn it into like a paper, I'm afraid that it's not really going to impact people's no, behavior. It so no, it, need, it needs to feel absolutely contemporary. Yeah. And that, you know, and that it, it's an interesting challenge. There's, you know, in, in Australia, interest, you know, the, the amount of guilt seems to have given them a certain edge on some other cultures in terms mm -hmm. of how they're treating indigenous people now, because, you know, they're funding some indigenous dance companies who don't want to do 
you know, it, they're not about being folkloric. They're about being as contemporary as right, possible. Right, right. So, I mean, I feel like that's the right approach. That, that's yeah. pretty interesting. And, mm -hmm. and actually, one of my friends, Dennis Scholl, has sort of single-handedly brought Aborigine, Aborig, was it, how do you say, Aboriginal art into the uh, uh, the fine art scene as well. And it's, it's really interesting because yeah, you sort of exactly. have to understand them to understand the art, right? And it's a, it's a so, so okay, well, that that's, yeah, that's, this sounds like a fruitful thing, so. Oh, I think so. I mean, I'm, I'm well, again, it brings together so many things yeah, I'm interested yeah. in. You know, environment, I really am a child of nature, so for yeah. me, the environment is but, the but, single most important thing. I but can, New know. York, punk rock, ballet, and nature, that's pretty interesting. It, it's a weird <laughs> combo, but you're equally weird. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> Okay. Also, by the way, I, you know, the whole, um, the motto of the Media Lab is hand to mind. Mm -hmm. And I, I knew that from reading Whiplash, but I did a whole lot of work this week about movement that is literally one person in the hand, the other mind. So mm -hmm. we have some video to share of that too. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks, Carol. <laughs> sure.